have two passages of Scripture uh, that I will use as texts uh, tonight. The first one from Jeremiah 17, or Jeremiah 10, I mean, Jeremiah 10, verse 10. But the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting King. At his wrath, the earth will tremble and the nations will not be able to endure his indignation. And then the second passage from 1 Thessalonians 1 verse 9. For they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how you turned to God from idols to serve the living and true God. 1 Thessalonians 1.9 The ungodly world in which we live in wants to redefine and rename things to make sin seem more palatable and even preferable, preferable and at the same time they would redefine uh, things to make godliness and righteousness seem immoral and wrong. They want to turn things around. So abortion is abortion. It's not called baby killing. And sometimes it's called health care. And uh, uh, the mutilation of children's bodies is called uh, gender-affirming health care or just plain health care. And lots of times... Well, the rainbow fur, in fact, which was a symbol of God's grace and his promise not to destroy the uh, world with the flood has been used as a symbol of sexual sin. And so this ungodly world likes to change the definitions of things. And among those things is the word Christian. And the importance of understanding the word Christian uh, is something I'll, I'll go through for several weeks. I'm not sure how many weeks at this point. But uh, before we actually get to that word Christian, it's important to understand that the word Christian itself is a word that's in the Bible. In fact, I think you wouldn't know the word Christian if you didn't see it first in Scripture. There would not be no point for it. And so we will eventually consider the meaning of that word, which it, it, takes, it takes its meaning from the word Christ, uh, which is from the Hebrew word Messiah, and we'll be studying all that, but there's some things that are prerequisite even to that, and that's what we start with today. Uh, the title of my sermon today is A Christian Knows the Living and True God. And prerequisite to being a Christian or part of being a Christian and impossible to eliminate part of being a Christian is knowing and believing in God. The God, not just any God, but the God of the Bible. And so my first point today is uh, a true Christian believes in a real living God. Scripture starts within the beginning God. Uh, the passage I read to you today, Jeremiah 10.10, reads, But the Lord is the true God. He is 
the living God. Our God is, and this may be obvious to all of you, he is a true God, meaning he is real. There is such a thing as a God in heaven that rules the universe. He's not a fiction thing. He's not something we made up in our imaginations. He is real. When something, or in God's case, someone, or you could say three ones if we're talking about the Trinity, is real, that real being cannot be whatever anyone would want that being to be. That being is what he is because he's real. This chair is, you could say, real. I can, it's actually a stool more than a chair, but I can sit on it, even as heavy as I am because I've tested it before, and I know it's real. If it were imaginary, guess where I would be now? I would be on the floor. And things that are real have certain properties. You can understand them. You, you can see them. You can touch them. And uh, you can know them. Now, some people say, well, God's not real because I can't touch God like a chair. But we can still know him through the creation. When something is real, it has certain attributes, and it cannot be just anything. Uh, this chair, uh, you know, you could imagine that this chair could instantly change into a horse on demand. Now, if it were a chair horse, and I sat on it and said, one, two, three, horsey, come to me, and it became a horse, <laughs> then, then you'd believe me, and it would be real that. But, but right now, you know what? The chair horse is just in my imagination, isn't it? I can't do this, and probably if... If the chair horse did come about, I would probably fall off of it. It wouldn't do me a whole lot of good. But it's not a chair horse. That's my imagination. That's something different. But if this was imaginary, I could imagine it as a chair horse or a chair sports car or a chair airplane. I could go flying anywhere I wanted with it. But it's not. It's real. And so is God. He is not just what anybody wants him to be. Yet in our politically correct world, we are almost forced by a corrupt, atheistic culture to acquiesce to the idea that every concept of God is equal. Uh, when we do this, we are too easily giving in to an atheistic, anti-God presupposition or mindset. We're saying, yeah, uh, it doesn't matter what you believe, everything leads to God. And the, one of the churches where I was in the pastor of, uh, the denomination was a liberal denomination, liberal theologically, and anything would go as far as God was concerned because when you were there, God was not real. Uh, they, might they might preach as if he were real, but all the time they met him as imaginary. And they preached as him, or they, they'd sometimes say him or her. Uh, they wouldn't always say him. They'd say he, she, because they wanted to promote a, a feminist agenda as well. And so they would change what they call God. And they did this uh, because they did not believe God was real. 
Why? Because if God is real, he cannot be whatsoever, whatever so many conflicting concepts say. For instance, the Mormon concept, God started as a man. The spaghetti monster concept is somebody somebody just made that up because they thought well that's equal to God in the Bible because I made it up and and we all made somebody made this God up they think it's the same now the Muslim Jehovah Witness concept of God being one conflicts with the concept of the three in one trinity now there's all these different uh, views of God and some of them may be more correct than others. And somebody might argue, let's say I had a Muslim here, they might come in here and start arguing that their concept of God was right and my concept was wrong. But even if that's the case, there's only one concept of God that could be correct if he's real. So if the Muslims are right and we are wrong, that there really is a God but he's not a trinity, uh, uh, then that concept of God would be correct and we'd be wrong. I don't believe that's the case. I believe we have God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. That's the true concept of God. That's what the Bible teaches. But you can't have both. You can't say he's three in one and he's only one uh, as far as in the Muslim way and the Christian way. They're two the two totally different so you can't say they're equal or the same one of them's correct and one of them's wrong and so even if the even if the muslim was right then we would be wrong god cannot be everything for everybody he is what he is uh, and so you can't just make him up you might ask well how do you know which one is correct well you might not know but if God is real, you know there is a correct concept and there are wrong concepts. And so you, you'd know, just like I have in the outline, if Kansas City is a real place, there are only so many ways you can get there. You can get there by a car or an airplane. Uh, you can get there by, from here by traveling west if you're traveling in the United States. But you can't get there by clicking your heels together and saying, there's no place like home, there's no place like Kansas City, there's no place like home. Uh, it's, it's real. So you, there's not a, a, limited number of way, a limitless number of ways to get there because it's real. The politically correct, though, forced acceptance of many gods and goddesses, all being equal, assumes atheism. It assumes God and gods and goddesses are all fantasies, and it assumes idolatry. If they're all equal, we, and by idolatry, I, I don't mean just that there are false gods, but gods and even our God is something we made up. We, we, we created it. And so the first point, a Christian is someone who believes in the true and living God of the Bible. And so if we start there, uh, that doesn't mean every Christian knows everything about the Bible and what it says about God, but we study to know him better and better. We study to know him more and more. The Bible tells us that there's one God who exists eternally in three persons. Uh, Deuteronomy 6, 4 says, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. Matthew 28, 19 says, Baptizing them in the name of the Father 
and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. Those are just a couple verses. You know, we baptize in, that, that's an act of worship in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Because all three of those persons are God. The Bible tells us Jesus is the only way to the one true and living God. He's the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father except by him. The Bible describes this eternal God according to his many wonderful attributes. And I just uh, shared here real quick uh, from the Westminster Shorter Catechism. The question is, what is God? And it, God is a spirit, infinite, eternal, unchangeable, and is being wisdom, power, holiness, justice, goodness, and truth. And you'll see in your outlines, I have biblical text for each one of those attributes. And, and some of us, I know ladies, we went through uh, the Reformed Theology that R.C. Sproul does, uh, you know, or, or what's that, the book called? Uh, we did Reformed Theology, and we did his book on, on, on theology. And we covered those things uh, a few different times, and many other attributes as well. And so we see those things in the Bible, and we get to know the true and living God through those things. But wherever Christians are in their walk with God, they believe that there is a true and a living God. They don't believe God is somebody we made up. When a Christian says, when I mean, and by that mean quote Christian, and I, I, I knew people who called themselves Christians because our whole denomination was full of them that did not really believe in a living and true God. They believed God was a religious concept you'd make up, you'd make up for yourself to help your own life, uh, but it wasn't real. And so in the seminaries, they, they would invite Satanists to speak. And, and, and they had an atheist who taught classes at a seminary. But my, one friend I met, who was a real Christian who believed God that Jesus is the only way, he graduated from that seminary somehow. But when he left, they, 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 they said he was, they, they wrote a paper for him saying he was mentally unstable and unfit to be a pastor. Uh, even though he, uh, uh, and that was because he believed in God. Uh, they didn't believe anybody could really believe God was real. And that's really sad. But that's the first, you could say, prerequisite to being a Christian is believing God is real. He's alive, he's there. And that the God of the Bible is that real God. The true Christian has a biblical understanding of the living God. Here it says also in verse 10 of Jeremiah, but the Lord is the true God. He is the living God and the everlasting king. At his wrath, the earth will tremble and the nations will not be able to endure his indignation for they themselves declare concerning us what manner of entry we had to you and how we turn to God from idols to serve the living and true God. Uh, here, number one, God who speaks from the scriptures is the true God, meaning all other versions are false. He is the living God, meaning he's alive and he's real, in contrast to the statues that they typically had in those days who obviously were dead. He is definitely not something men invented to control women. Uh, the ungodly today typically call biblical Christianity patriarchy, uh, they do not believe in scripture. They believe that scripture was not God-breathed, 
but it was written by men, meaning literally the gender male, in order to rule over women and, and other people. It was an invention that they used uh, for this purpose. They believed scripture to be purely the invention of men and, and men only, or maybe some women who agreed with them. The, the people who are denying scripture claim to be Christians, yet they don't believe the Bible is from God, nor is God the true and living God. They just think that Christian is a name that they can use for, for, for advancing their own agenda because they thought that other people were only using it to advance their agenda and God wasn't involved with it. They claim God goddesses are made up ideas. They see the Bible as promoting a man-made agenda. They believe also they have a right to use the God goddesses concepts as to promote their own agendas. Even the word Christian they see because it's a popular word. It's a word people like. Even today, even though some are fight against it, some like it. And so they use it as a word. Uh, to, uh, to back what they want to teach. They'll say something like, a Christian is loving. That's why he has to uh, affirm somebody who's transgender. Uh, they have to say it's right because it's the loving thing to do. Uh, that's not loving. That's uh, promoting sin. For us, God is the living and true God, as we already read from Jeremiah 10.10. 10. He is the everlasting king meaning God rules. He ruled in 30-something A.D. Uh, when Jesus rose from the dead, and he still rules today. When it says everlasting king, meaning he still rules today. Meaning even though we see the world, sometimes it seems like, and, and, and Scripture even says Satan rules this world, but over Satan, God is still ruling. He's still sovereign. He still will be victorious in the end. And so he's the everlasting king. When we read the end of uh, the book of Revelation, when Jesus is coming back, uh, riding on that white horse, he's called the king of kings and lord of lords. And he will end all other kingdoms. When we read about him in Isaiah 9, 6 and 7, he's the wonderful counselor, the mighty God, the everlasting father, the prince of peace. And it says the government will be upon his shoulder and his kingdom will never end. God is the everlasting king. He is a God who will punish sin and sinners. As it says in the other part of Jeremiah 10.10, at his wrath the earth will tremble and the nations will not be able to endure his indignation. Today, too often... A view of God that includes his wrath against sin and sinners is ridiculed, uh, even to the point it's called not Christian. If you preach the wrath of God, if you preach the truth of God about hell or God punishing sinners, uh, everybody will say, I don't mean literally everybody, but everybody on the outside will say, you're not a Christian, you are hateful for preaching wrath and, and hell's fire and brimstone and, and all this uh, for sinners because we know God loves everybody and he would never send anyone to hell. Well, uh, that's not biblical. That's not the, 
the God that I see in Scripture. God is indeed loving. Scripture says, he who does not love does not know God, for God is love. 1 John 4, 8. But Scripture also says, our God is a consuming fire. Uh, Hebrews 12, 29, and also Deuteronomy 4, 24. For the Lord your God is a consuming fire, a jealous God. Uh, there's two verses that say God is a consuming fire. There's only one verse that says God is love. Now, I'm not arguing that he's more fire than love, but that's just a fact there. And we see this. Uh, he is actually both things. He is extremely loving. He is extremely kind. He wants to save us from our sins. But if we are not saved from our sins, we will be lost in, in hell. When a person picks and chooses among God's attributes, saying he believes God is love, but he's not a consuming fire, he's making an idol. He's not dealing with the uh, true God. Sometimes I've even heard people say things like, I like to think of God as my big daddy in the sky. And, or uh, he's the one that rides shotgun with me in my pickup. That's my God. He's my friend, my buddy, my, my all. And there may be truth in some of those things. What a friend we have in Jesus. And God is our, our father in heaven. But if we think he's only those things, and he, not also a God of righteousness, a God of wrath, a God who will punish sin, we're, 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 we're saying, because I like this attribute, and I don't like this attribute, I'm going to make God the way I want him to be rather than how the Bible says he really is. Jesus came, it says in Matthew 28, 18 through 20, uh, he says, All authority has been given me in heaven and on earth. Go therefore and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you, and lo, I am with you always, even to the end of the age. Notice what he says there. He doesn't say, teach them some things, those things that you think will draw a crowd. Teach them only about love. Teach them only uh, those things that they like to hear. Don't talk about hell or fire, because those things aren't really real. No, he says, teach them all things. That which means we should learn about theology. We should learn who God is. We should learn about who we are as sinners and, and how we need to repent of sin so that we can get to heaven. That's learning about all things. And scripture, the person who believes in God uh, is one who wants to know everything about God and everything that scripture tells us. And so that's the person who believes the Bible. Thirdly, a true Christian sees God as his or her creator and the creator of everything. I started this message with Genesis 1. Genesis 1, 1 says, In the beginning God created the heavens and the earth. And that tells us that this world was made by God. He created it. He designed it. Later in that same chapter, it says, Then God said, let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. 
So God created man in his own image. In the image of God created him. Male and female, he created them. Then God blessed them and said to them, Be fruitful and multiply. Fill the earth and subdue it. Have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds of the air, and over every living thing that moves on the earth. God created the heavens and the earth. He created us. And these are things that I believe now we're living in a day when the theory of evolution should be laughed at. Because some of the things that the Bible teaches are very obvious in Scripture, and not just in Scripture, but today's science. When we think of DNA, uh, which has been discovered fairly recently, in Darwin's day, there was no, no such thing as DNA that they knew about. They had no understanding of it. And it destroys this theory of evolution because it, it, it means we, had, we have information inside of us. It's just like if we went to a beach sure and, and we, we found a laptop in a box and then we also found a, a book telling us how to operate the laptop and then we said, oh, this must have been blown together by the wind and the waves. Uh, it, it obviously blew together by time and chance and there was no creator for it even though it might say Apple on, on the box. And when we look at DNA, we see information inside of our, our bodies. Each one of our one trillion cells has a, a pattern of DNA in it, information on how your body is to be made. And so how long your nose is, how tall you will be, uh, whether you uh, will have hair your whole life or not, all of these things are in our DNA, the description of uh, our, our, our eye color and all these things, whether we're a human or we're an apple tree or, a, or a, a dog, is all in the DNA. And so this information is there, and that's a lot of information. If we put the DNA in any of our bodies, if we stretched it from end to end, it would go to the moon and back 500 times. That's how much information is there. And when you think of that, when you see a library and you see the books and you open the books, and most of the books, if you open them uh, and start reading them, you can read them. And why is that? Because somebody intelligent wrote that book and you're also intelligent enough to read the symbols in that book and to understand them. Now, if somebody told you that that library was built by an explosion and every, all the letters just fell into place by time and chance uh, and, and there was no creator to it, you would laugh at that. You knew that somebody wrote each of those books, somebody put them in the shelves where they should be, and that they were, it was done orderly by somebody intelligent. And yet the DNA in our body is far more advanced than any library. And yet we think it came about by time and chance. It just happened to, to be. And that is evidence, if not absolute proof, against evolution. 
which says there is no God, there is no intelligence behind design. Everything just happened by chance. Like if somebody kicked the stone down the road for a thousand or two thousand or ten million years, you'd have Myrna or you'd have Zenora because that stone would eventually, by time, being kicked around enough, become a frog and then a dog and then a human being. Uh, but that's not how it works. We were designed by an infinitely intelligent creator. In Darwin's day, people did not believe God in God, who did not believe in God, believed in spontaneous generation. They actually believed that flies spontaneously generated from manure and that mice spontaneously generated from hay piles because they'd see around the manure there was a bunch of flies. Around the hay pile there were a lot of mice. Hay piles just produced mice who were, were simple creatures and, and those mice would eventually evolve to something else the same way with the flies. And yet this has never been observed in actual science. People now know it's not true. And so spontaneous generation uh, is known not to happen and that was something that had to happen for Darwin uh, to be right. And then thirdly, even in Darwin's day, there was seen in creation uh, things that were too complex to have evolved. Darwin himself says, and this is a quote, to suppose that the eye, with all its inimitable contrivances for adjusting the focus to different distances for ad admitting different amounts of light and for the correction of spherical and chromatic aberration could have been formed by natural selection seems, I freely confess, absurd in the highest degree. And so here he says, it seems absurd to think that an eye could have just happened by time and chance. And he says seems because he still wants to believe that. He's the one who was jumping by faith. And today, having more science, uh, we, I think Darwin would have, would have said, hey, my theory is just plain wrong. He would have admitted that. But people today hold on to the theory. Why? Because they don't want to deal with God. They don't want to have to deal with God who will judge them for their sins. Christians who know God created see everything according to his design and purpose in creation. They know that God created the heavens which declare God's glory, Psalm 19.1. They see his invisible attributes in the things that are made in Romans 1.19 and 20. They know uh, they are created according to his design, male and female. Uh, they are designed with an ability to procreate. They see this design. You know, one of the reasons I think there's confusion now about male and female is that some of the people who are not believers are starting to think consistently with their own non-belief, with evolution, and they say, hey, there has to be these in-betweens and all kinds of different things, because if it just happened by chance, you wouldn't expect a designed male and a designed female, it's not by design, that's, that's what they believe, so it had to be just whatever we want to think of it as. They are created in his image and are supposed to live for his glory. That's what we were created for. A Christian knows that he was created in the image of God 
this is something, Lord willing, I'll probably talk about next week is God and the image of God and uh, what that means to us as Christians and how it's different than what the ungodly world believes. This is dramatically different, this idea of we were created to live for God's glory, for his praise, from an atheist who has no meaning for life. What is the meaning for life for an atheist? Well, they will say, whatever we want it to be, we make our meaning. We don't have a meaning given to us. And that's a dramatic difference. The Christian identity, therefore, is a God-given identity. He tells us in Scripture what he designed us to be, what he meant for our lives. This does not mean that every one of us is the same. We see in Scripture different people live different ways and, and do different things for God. Then we see he gives different people different gifts and different blessings, and he uses us in different ways to glorify him and honor him. But we were all created for the general uh, uh, concept of honoring God, glorifying him, praising him. We were created for his purposes and not just our own. And we can do that many different ways, many different people. But all the different people are going by God's uh, direction if they are God's people and create his creation. And they know that they are, that they believe in a living and true God who they want to serve. That's the first part of being a Christian. So let's let us pray. Father, we thank you for what your scripture tells us about you. And Father, there surely is a lot more about you than I could ever say in one sermon or even in a thousand sermons. And even preaching about ourselves, uh, we are complex and we're, we're, as David said, fearfully and wonderfully made. And Father, I thank you for that. I thank you that we are too complex to think that we just came about because somebody kicked a stone around the room for a thousand times or something. Uh, We are designed by you. We are masterpieces of your creation. We are, as David said, and I said before, fearfully and wonderfully made. And I thank you for that, God. We are also sinners and we've lost sight, Father, of what we are and what you are and who you are and and father we are far from that sometimes even as believers sometimes we make mistakes about these things and yet father you call us home you bring us to yourself you tell us to live for you and father we we desire to do that i know everybody here does or they wouldn't be here on sunday nights and father we just pray that you'd help us all uh, to do that to live for you and we pray these things in jesus name Amen.